The Holy Gospel according to St. John, the 20th chapter. Glory to you, O Lord. When it was evening on that day, the first day of the week, and the doors of the house where the disciples had met were locked for fear of the religious authority, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. After he said this, he showed them his hands and his side. Then the disciples rejoiced when they saw the Lord. Jesus said to them again, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, so I send you. When he had said this, he breathed on them and said to them, Receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven them. If you retain the sins of any, they are retained. But Thomas, who was called the twin, one of the twelve, was not with them when Jesus came. So the other disciples told him, we have seen the Lord. But Thomas said to them, unless I see the mark of the nails in his hands and put my finger in the marks of the nails and my hand in his side, I will not believe. A week later, his disciples were again in the house and Thomas was with them. Although the doors were shut, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, Put your finger here and see my hands. Reach out your hand and put it in my side. Do not doubt, but believe. Thomas answered him, My Lord and my God. Jesus said to him, Have you believed because you have seen me? Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have come to believe. Now, Jesus did many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not written in this book, but these are written so that you may come to believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that through believing, you may have life in his name. The Gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, O Christ. I ask, as always, that we gather our hearts around God's word in prayer. Living God, Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of all our hearts be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our strength and our Redeemer. Amen. Amen. There was one week in my third year of seminary that I volunteered to go to Chicago to the ELCA headquarters for additional training in redevelopment and mission start ministry. I was going to be there on a Thursday through Saturday, and I'd fly back on Saturday nights and lead services at 8.30 the next morning. It was ambitious. The conference went great. Chicago was unseasonably warm for February, which was lucky. I got to meet new friends and connect with old friends, and then I found myself headed home. My plane landed in Dulles International Airport at 11.30 p.m., I didn't get my bag until 12.45 a.m. I didn't get home to Luray until 2.30 a.m. I had a service six hours later at 8.30. I dropped my bag in the front hall, and I remember trudging up the steps. I don't know how I made it home. The last 30 minutes of that trip were just a haze of exhaustion, but... I got back there safely, and I remember walking into my bedroom saying, I've got to be able to get up in the morning and make sure that I've got my sermon together. So I set an alarm for myself on my phone, and I 
looked at my phone and realized it was very close to dying. And so I just fall face forward into my bed and I reach across to grab the phone charger that was plugged into the wall. And I woke up. (laughs) Sunday morning, still fully dressed, hand still extended, holding a charger that was plugged into the wall, but was not plugged into my phone. I had missed it. My phone, my watch read 9 o'clock a.m. It happened. I was terrified that this was going to happen. For the first time, I found out that this congregation had an 8.30 service in the morning. I'm not a morning person. Getting myself out of bed in the morning is my nightmare. I, I was so scared this would happen, and it finally did. So I, I plug my dead phone in. I fling myself into the shower, and I, I dry off, and I get dressed, and I grab my now slightly charged phone, and I'm running out the door listening to concerned voicemails from my council president. I go flying down the old Ida Road, and somehow by 9.25, I am whipping into the parking lot of the church, only to find the last members locking the doors. It happened. I did it. I overslept, and I missed a church service. My greatest fear, my terrible failure, had finally come true. I served that congregation for another year and a half. They even, miraculously, a few months later, called me to be their pastor. But you know, in that year and a half time, no one ever brought that story up. No one ever scolded me for it. No one was ever terribly angry that it happened. Most were just worried. They knew I was coming back in from Chicago, and they hoped that I hadn't driven off the road in the night or gotten stuck halfway across the country. One time in four years of service there, I slept through a church service. But not once did anyone ever call me pastor sleeps through worship. (laughs) Not once did anyone ever call me dozing Alex. So why, why do we call Thomas doubting Thomas? I'm sure many of you are familiar with this story of Thomas that we've heard today and his unique witness to the resurrection. I hope you would be because this is the story that appears every single year, the week after Easter Sunday. And I'm equally sure that this story has been presented to you year after year and somewhere along the line you've heard of this character doubting Thomas. I will never understand why this saint of the church is remembered like this. Thomas is immortalized as doubting because of one moment of weary weakness after the traumatic murder of his master. Yes, Jesus says to him, do not doubt but believe. Yes, in his way, Thomas doubted. But I do not believe that Thomas doubted God. I do not believe that it was possible for Thomas to doubt God, but I'll elaborate on that more in a moment. I believe that Thomas doubted his friends. Frankly, that was a very reasonable thing to do. This is as much the story of the doubting slash terrified disciples holed up in their locked room for fear of the temple authorities as it is the story of Thomas. So, dear church, I'm going to ask today that we we bury the name Doubting Thomas, just as none of us would want to be forever remembered by one mistake, as I don't want to be 
dozing Alex. Let us not shackle Thomas with this burden any longer. As we dive into this story, let's forget this silly name that denies the contributions of a man who was the first to proclaim the divinity of Christ, my Lord and my God, and who would be the one to carry the gospel throughout the world to India and Sri Lanka. Thomas was faithful and bold. Thomas's story can remind us that we are not defined by one mistake, but that God gives us a new chance. And Thomas's story points us to what I consider today to be the most important point of this story. We can't doubt God. We can't. It's just not possible. Now, I know that you might be thinking to yourself, Pastor, I myself have doubted God. I'm not too proud of it. And frankly, I didn't want to talk about it today in church. But yes, at some point along the line, I have doubted God. I hear you. And at the same time, I hear me right along with you. But if I might be so bold this morning, I'll say this. No, you didn't. I believe that it is very possible for us to doubt one another. I believe that it is very possible for us to doubt ourselves. But we can't doubt God. Consider this. The movie Avengers Endgame was released this week. Has anybody been to see it yet? Good. A couple hands. There should be more hands, and I hope to see that by next week. But I got to see it. I got to see it on Friday night. I've been excited for this for quite a while. Avengers Endgame. I'm not going to offer any spoilers because that would be a terrible thing to do. But this movie was the culmination of 10 years of storytelling. 22 movies make up the Marvel Cinematic Universe, and they all come to this dramatic finale in this film released this week. And I could stand here today, totally spoiler-free, and tell you that this movie was incredible. It was perfect. It was everything I hoped it would be and more. It was the perfect conclusion to this chapter of the Marvel Cinematic Universe, and it was not only the best superhero movie ever made, it might be my favorite movie of all time. Now, that's a lot of praise to handle all at once. Pretend for a moment that no one had put up their hands. No one has seen this movie. And you hear all that I have to say, but, you know, something, something's lingering. You just don't buy it. I mean, after all, Pastor Alex is notorious for sleeping through church. So maybe he slept through the movie and dreamt that it was that good. I, it couldn't possibly be that good. I don't believe it. I doubt that Pastor Alex is telling the truth. That's fine. For whatever reason, I've given you to doubt me, and you can... You can doubt me until you go see the film for yourself, but nothing about your doubt of me changes how great this movie truly is. It still exists in its greatness, whether you believe me or doubt. In this same way, we can't doubt God. I could stand here and offer you a million reasons why you should believe in the resurrection, why you should follow in God's work of justice in the world, while you should listen to the voice of the Spirit that is calling you to claim your gifts for service in God's name. I could stand up here today and preach to you, witness to the ways that I myself have seen resurrection with my own eyes. I could tell you all the ways that I have experienced the incarnation of our God, knowing that God is truly with us, and you could doubt me. You could find fault with me, point to plenty of reasons to disbelieve me. You could slander me and call my character into question. You can doubt me. 
but you can't doubt God. Your doubts do not change the truth that God is alive and working redemption for God's people here and now. We are just not that powerful. You could hear this word proclaimed. You can experience resurrection in your own life and testify it to it in your own way. You can remain steadfast in your faith, giving praise to God's holy name. Then you could experience pain, agony, fear, and lose all hope. You could experience trauma and loss in a way that no one could ever fully understand. You could feel helplessly alone, unsure of God's presence, and you could doubt yourself. You can count your faith as foolishness and rage at your own inability to save yourself. You can be furious at your need for someone else to be your savior because deep down you were trying so hard to save yourself and you failed. You can doubt yourself. But you can't doubt God. Your self-doubt does not change the truth that God made you, loves you, and claims you as God's own. You are just not powerful enough to change that. We can't doubt God because faith is a gift. It is not some work that we can accomplish or something that we can fail at. In his small catechism, Martin Luther had this to say about the gift of faith. I believe that I cannot by my own reason or strength believe in Jesus Christ, my Lord, or come to him. But the Holy Spirit has called me by the gospel, enlightened me with his gifts, sanctified and kept me in the true faith. In the same way, he calls, gathers, enlightens, and sanctifies the whole Christian church on earth and keeps it with Jesus Christ in the one true faith. Faith is a gift. It is not our own doing. But in this gift, we are called upon to trust that God is with us and working. There we might stumble. There we might struggle. Trust is a part of our work, but that involves the work of not doubting one another and ourselves as we receive and share this gift of faith, proclaiming it in word and deed. Faith is not of our own. It comes from God. Faith is the assurance of things hoped for and the conviction of things not seen. Faith is God's very presence, God's work in this world being handed to us in love. Thomas's moment of doubt did not undo the power of the resurrection or cause him to lose out on his place in Christ's kingdom. Our doubts cannot change the truth that God is working for our redemption. Our doubts cannot change the truth that God is with us here. Thomas doubted. Yes, he did. He doubted his friends because they had all abandoned their master to die and were holed up in fear in a locked room. Thomas doubted his friends and he doubted himself. And all he asked for was the same gift of faith to receive the same thing his friends claimed they had received, the very presence and work of Christ in their midst. That's what Thomas wanted. In the proclamation of Christ's word, in the receiving of his meal, in the means of resurrection we see throughout our world, we continue to receive the gift of faith, the very presence and work of Christ in our midst. God is at work claiming and redeeming us, and nothing we do will change that. He is risen, alleluia, and Christ is bringing us the gift of faith that we might know his saving love. Now the question remains, what do we do? with this gift of faith. 
If we want to learn from Thomas, perhaps the lesson to learn isn't that we should be afraid of doubting. Perhaps that we should learn his confession. One of the most powerful phrases in scripture, my Lord and my God. My Lord and my God, proclaiming that Christ is our teacher, friend, and guide, the one who rebukes and frees us that we might walk according to his word. And we proclaim that in Christ, God is with us, claiming and redeeming us that we might have life everlasting, here and now and in the life to come. This is the entirety of the gospel in just five simple words, and it is meant to be our response to the gift of faith. And so we are tasked to be trustworthy stewards of this gift, knowing that we cannot doubt God, but we can doubt each other and ourselves, and we can be doubted by others and ourselves. We are called in the light of resurrection to be trustworthy. We are called to meet the world with compassion, love, hope, and mercy, that we offer no cause to doubt our lived proclamation, my Lord and my God. We are called to work for justice that liberation might be known with our cry, my Lord and my God. We are called to trust in the movement of the spirit, remembering that resurrection is often working under the cloak of mystery, that when resurrection dawn breaks in our world, we might boldly cry, my Lord and my God. I am grateful that this story of doubt accompanies us at the start of every Easter season. I'm grateful that we can hear today the story of Thomas and his faithfulness to Christ in proclaiming my Lord and my God. I'm grateful that we can accompany one another in building this beloved, faithful, and trustworthy community that proclaims God's work and redemption in our thoughts, words, and deeds. I'm grateful that our lives are not defined and titled by our mistakes, but that God is reaching out, meeting us in our need, and granting us the gift of faith. This gift is not our own making, and yet it is given to us that we might share God's love and witness to resurrection here and now. Today, we venture out into resurrection light, assured by the freedom, hope, and promise that underwrites Thomas's story. We simply can't doubt God. Amen.